The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. John chapter number 6, verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on him that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Verse number 5. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes... And he saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse number 7, Philip answered, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. Verse number 8, And one of his disciples, Andrew, we learned about him last week, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they amongst so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. There was, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Good morning, church, and a welcome to our second service. We had a great 9.30 service. Looking forward to what God's going to do here at the 11 o'clock service, and I'm excited just to have every one of you as a part. Uh, how many of you have ever been in one of these situations where you kind of are too absorbed in your phone? I, I know this didn't happen decades ago, but more, more or less in the last few years. How many of you have ever just gotten so wrapped up in your phone you almost begin to lose kind of perspective on what's happening around you? Anybody ever, ever have that? It's just me, all right? And, and I, I, on one occasion, I, I was walking and texting, and I had my phone out, and I was really focused, and I'm texting really fast, and Honestly, as I'm, I'm kind of working through it, I'm losing all perspective of what's happening around me. And I'm texting, I'm texting, I'm texting, and I'm texting. And all of a sudden, as I'm texting, boom, I, I like almost run into somebody. I'm like, I look up and there's this man like right there in my face who had been do- doing the same thing. I mean, we're like this close to kissing each other. That's not why we were there, you know? And it was just really awkward. And we're like doing one of these, like, what's going on here? And uh, then from there, and maybe you've been here before, and uh, all of a sudden you, you go to move one way, and, and then they, they move that way, and then you go to move the other way and they how many of you've done how many of you've danced with a stranger before you know what i'm talking about and you're doing one of these deals and you're like finally it's just like okay what way or what way are you going to go because I, i'm going to go the other way and then you know okay i'm going this way you're going and we're you know then the awkwardness is all over you've been there before and uh, that's a little bit of what we find happening in this passage jesus comes to philip and he basically says this philip which way are you going to go on this issue? You say, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, look at verse number five. In verse number five, basically what's happening is Jesus looks out and there's this massive multitude of people who have followed him. In fact, later on in the passage, it's going to say there's 5,000 men who are now following Jesus. Uh, some scholars believe that there were upwards to 15 to 20,000 people there that day once you include uh, women and, and children. And so somewhere between five and 20,000 people are all following Jesus. It's late into the day and now Jesus leans over to one of the disciples, 
Philip. We learned about him last week, one of the first disciples. And uh, uh, we, we see him, I'm sorry, uh, with Andrew and Philip. I, he says this to Philip first. But he says to Philip, he says, uh, hey, Philip, he says, how are we going to go and buy all these people some food? Now, before we go any further in this, I just want to throw out there, the reason that Jesus asks this question is not because he doesn't know what he's going to do. This is Jesus. This is God incarnate. This is the one that spoke the world into its existence, the one that sustains all life. This is the God-man. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And yet here he is leaning over to one of his disciples saying, hey, uh, how are we going to go buy food for all of these people? Now, what I think is funny is as you read in our text here, it's as if Philip all of a sudden, man, he gets into analytical kind of mode he's all starting to figure it out and and you can see here in verses number five and verse number six you know and jesus says this he said to prove him so jesus is now testing him he's proving him for he himself he already knew what he was going to do jesus knew what he was going to do and here's what philip answered he said well well uh 200 penny worths this is a, a 200 denarii of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them maybe just take a little it's almost like philip saying okay he's got his calculator out he's like okay five thousand people we got 200 penny worth. uses this arbitrary number man he's got his spreadsheets out he's trying to calculate he's trying to figure all this stuff up and and finally you can just see where all of a sudden his brain just goes up yeah I, I don't know, you know, I, I'm not, I actually am not sure how this thing is all going to happen. I'm not quite sure how this is all going to go down. But the reality is this, the reason Jesus asks him is, is not so he could figure it out. He asks him to test him. He's, he's basically using Philip like some sort of lab rat here. Like, Philip, how, how are you going to respond when it comes to resources? When it comes to like uh, financial need, how, how is the posture of your heart? How do you analyze this thing? How do you think about this thing? And we see Philip's knee-jerk reaction is to get analytical. His knee-jerk reaction is to get logical. His uh, knee-jerk reaction is to get all natural on this. And about the time he's like, I, I ain't coming up with anything, we see in verses number 8 and 9, Andrew, who uh, we learned about last week, Andrew all of a sudden he pipes in. You know, Andrew's like, okay, hey, I got this, I found this, this, this kid I know, and he drags him over, he says, his kid, he's got like this lunch, and he's got five barley loaves, he's got these two fishes, and uh, he's, he starts talking, and as Andrew's talking, you could almost get this idea that maybe he's starting to figure out, yeah, this boy's lunch isn't going to help either with five or six thousand people that need to be fed. And so what's crazy about this situation is, this is really how, this is indicative of how you and I can tend to respond when Jesus starts engaging us on resource and financial issues, isn't it? I mean, when we have to engage the Almighty, when we have to engage God's Word, when it comes to finances, when it comes to money, when it comes to resources, like, we instantly get all analytical, we get all logical, we pull out the calculator, we look at the checkbook ledger, we pull out the spreadsheets, and we start trying to figure it all out. How is this going to work out? How are we going to make this thing happen? And and basically, we kind of get to this place where it's spreadsheets, you know, it's a little boy's lunch, and we're just like, you know, I, I don't know. And that's what's natural for us when God comes and does what he does to Philip and wants to test the posture of our heart toward resources and toward finances. Now, to be fair, 
we probably need to give Philip a little bit of a break. Now, you've got to understand that Philip was raised his whole life in, in this old way. He was, he was raised under the Jewish laws. There were 200 Jewish customs and traditions. He spent his whole life trying to be strict and calculated and logical and legalistic. And now Jesus is testing him. That's what the Bible says in verse number six. He's trying to test him. He's trying to see how is Philip going to respond now that Jesus is on the scene. When it comes to resources and finances, are we, are, are we going to do what Philip did? And it's almost like Jesus is testing us today. Like, how do we respond, you know, when it comes to resources? How do we respond when it comes to finances? Are we going to go to the old way of, like, calculations and spreadsheets and trying to make it work and figuring out what we can do to kind of make it all happen? Or are we going to recognize that now that Jesus is on the scene, everything is different? Everything has changed even the way we approach finances and resources. In, these, in this passage, the disciples are going to get a front row seat to God's providing power put on magnificent display. Now, as we get started, I, I just want to be up front with you. This morning, we, we're going to speak on the subject of stewardship. We're going to talk on the subject of finances and resources. We're going to talk about checking and savings, income, debt, credit cards, so much of our lives, of what our lives get wrapped up in it. You say, why? Because Jesus talked a whole lot about money and finances. It was one of the biggest things he talked about. You say, why? He talked about it so much because he recognized that where our treasure is, Matthew chapter number 6, verse 31, is where our heart will be also. It is absolutely impossible to separate one's heart from God with the way their heart engages finances and resources and money. In fact, we kind of get to a place in church world where we're even uncomfortable to talk about it. Like, man, we go to church and we talk about money, man. You're not supposed to talk about money in churches. And I realize there can be an extreme where no longer are we preaching the whole counsel of God. But I'm here to say this. Jesus taught a lot about money. And the reality is the reason he does this is because finances are so interconnected to who we are as human beings. Think about it for a moment. What is money? At the end of the day, for most of us, money is simply nothing more than our life, our energy, our work, converted into paper currency. That's what money is. You go to the job, you work 40 hours a week, they give you a paycheck, you get money. Literally, your money is your life, it's your time, it's your energy, converted into currency. And that's why Jesus speaks so much about it, because your money is just a translation of you. It's your time, your energy, your life converted into currency, into paper. And that's why he says wherever your treasure is, that your time, your talent, your money, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It is absolutely impossible to dissect the person, a person's posture and, their, and how they engage their money with their relationship with God. Because you can say all day, oh, I trust God. I put my confidence in God. But if God's word and his teachings don't influence your finances, then it's all just platitudes. It's all just things that are being spoken but have no real basis in reality. And so in this passage, I, I want you to see three distinctives of living a life 
with Jesus as it pertains to our resources. Three distinctives that we're going to find in this passage. Now, what you have to understand is there's basically two perspectives when it comes to finances. There's what we call the global economy, all right? Most of us are familiar with the global economy. The global economy is influenced by the stock market, it's influenced by jobs, it's influenced by different nations and their economic positions, and all of these things affect the global economy, whether or not we have a job, whether or not we're born into a a certain situation, all these things affect our global economy, the economy that we exist within this physical world. But you're going to see as you study the Bible that there is an economy that transcends the global economy and it is called God's economy and God's economy does not work by the same rules that the global economy works by you see God's economy works on a a whole nother plane it works around the promises and faith of God and what we're going to see in this passage is Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand hey you no longer have to work within the old way All the calculations and the systematic trying to figure out these things. And it's not that Jesus is against budgets. It's not that he's against a checkbook ledger. But he wants to make sure that the posture of our heart is rooted firmly in the promises and word of God. And that's what we're going to see here a little bit today. So let's start marching through it. We've already looked at a few verses here. Notice verse number 10. So there was a lad. He had five barley loaves, two small fishes, and... Finally, Andrew's like, ah, but I don't know what they are among so many. Maybe this is a bad idea, right? Verse number 10. Then Jesus said, make the men sit down. And the number of them was about 5,000. I mean, here, just put yourself in this situation. Here are these men, they're hungry. They're in need. They... And the last thing they're thinking of, sit down. I don't know about you, this is so counterintuitive because when I need something and when I want something, my knee-jerk reaction, I, my, my inclination is to stand up and I've got to get to work. I've got to make something happen. I've got to do something. And here what we see with Jesus, he says, no, no, no. First thing, he, just sit down, which brings us to the first distinctive. If we are going to live a life in God's economy that transcends this global economy, the first thing we need to understand is simply this. We need to come to a place where we rest in his sufficiency. We rest in the sufficiency of God. Can I remind you of something? You have a God in heaven that created all that there is. He loves you. He cares about you. He's for you. And you can trust him. You can trust your heavenly father. The God that spoke this world into its existence is strong enough and powerful enough to meet your needs. And so the first thing Jesus is teaching his disciples here is, hey, just relax. See, if we're not careful, we live in this world when we, the way our heart engages resources, the way we engage our finances and money is we engage it with a heart of worry. We engage it with a heart of anxiety and anxiousness and fear and doubt and stress and frustration and, and the sense that everything's overwhelming. And, and I want to remind you here today, the first step to experiencing and living in God's economy is recognizing that you have a God that is ultimately in control and you can trust him with every part of your life, including your finances. It's going to be okay. 
you can trust him. Because of that, you can reject worry. You can reject anxiety. You can reject doubt. You can reject fear. Why? Because you have a God that ultimately loves you. He cares for you. And he's powerful enough to take care of you. So you can relax. You can sit down. You're never going to move from just living in the physical economy that we see in the world around us to living fully in God's economy until you learn to rest. Simply trust, regardless of the situation. Here 5,000 people. They, they need something to eat. They're hungry. And Jesus says, tell them to sit down. Tell them to relax. Tell them not to stress out. Remind them it's going to be okay. Matthew chapter number 6, verse 31, Jesus says this. Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or how are we going to be clothed? For these things do the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles were those who are not believers in God. And, and Jesus is saying, that's what Gentiles stress out about. Oh, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? How are we going to pay the bills? That's what, that's what non-believers do. He goes on to say, he says, why, why don't you have to stress about this? Why don't you have to worry about this? Why don't you have to get all frustrated? He says this, because your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Here's what the Bible's saying. Because your heavenly father already knows. He knows the bills that are coming in. He knows the financial need that you have. He knows the needs that your life has. He know, not only does he know, he cares. Get this. He's powerful enough to do something about it. And so Jesus comes along and he says, hey, now, you, don't have to, you don't have to be one of these that are all trying to figure it out and calculators and stress and ah, how are we going to do this? Hey, it's not wrong to do those things, but don't allow it to cause the posture of your heart to become one of stress and, and one of anxiousness and one of fear, and one of doubt, no. You're, you can be free from stress. Why? Because you have a God that's on the throne. And you can trust your heavenly Father. You can rest in His sufficiency. So I'll say this. Stop focusing on your problems. And start focusing on His promises. Because you can't do both. If you're focused on the promises of God and, and His goodness, guess what? You won't have mental energy to focus on your problems. But the reverse is true as well. If you're always fixated and obsessed with the next bill and how are you going to make this work and biting your fingernails and stressing out, guess what? Here's what you're not focusing on. The grace and goodness of God. And we're to be Christians and believers, not like the Gentiles, not like non-believers. We're supposed to fix our hearts and eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Can I say this? Your heavenly father doesn't just start things. He finishes them too. And you can trust that he will do exactly that. Living in God's economy starts with a heart posture of faith, a heart posture of trust, a heart posture of rest. But let me ask you, in the last seven days, has your spirit, has it been one of worry, stress, and anxiety? Or has it been marked by peace in the midst of maybe difficult circumstances?
rest and trust in the midst of uncertainty. Maybe trust in the midst of lack like we see in this passage. Is there a rest in his sufficiency? But it doesn't stop there. Notice what else we see. See, Jesus is trying to test Philip here. Hey, Philip, how do you respond when there's not enough? Because there wasn't enough. There was lack. And Jesus did this, verse 6, to prove him, to test him. And he does the same thing with us. How are you going to respond when there's not enough? Where does your heart go when there's not enough resources to meet the need? Do you go to fear and doubt and anxiety and worry? Or do you go to trust? Do you go to peace? Do you go to prayer? Do you go to Him? See, everything changes when Christ is on the scene. But where's your heart? Let's keep reading. Notice verse number 10. And Jesus said, make all the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place. And the men sat down, the number about 5,000. Notice this. And Jesus took the loaves. Notice this. And when he had given thanks. When he had given thanks. It's something you've got to understand about this day and age. In the 21st century, getting food is really fast and it's really convenient. I mean, we can go to the grocery store and within a few minutes we can buy some packaged food, we can throw it in the oven, and it's made for us. It, it just is so fast. In fact, if, if we want to now, you can get on your cell phone and you can order some food from your favorite restaurant. You can run there and by the time you get there, you can pick it up. I mean, I know we get so used to this that we don't actually kind of think it's weird, but think about it for a moment. Sometimes we are like, we are... We are so entitled as a society, like there are literally times where we literally don't even want to get out of our cars to get our food. Like we drive up, I'll take that, 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 you know, we drive to the next one and we we exert just enough energy to reach out the window and grab our food, you know, that's in the 21st century, that's about as much energy as we want to exert to eat, (laughs) you know, that's like where we find ourselves. That was not how things were back in in this day and age. I mean, eating was like this whole day ordeal. And it wasn't like they were having three meals a day. They might have something when they wake up, but then it was all day preparing and baking and cooking and fetching and hunting. Whatever they had to do, it was a big deal to cook food. It wasn't like at the end of the day, oh man, we haven't eaten today. Let's start working at it. That's not how this thing went down. So we find 5,000 men, end of the day, they haven't eaten. And now the disciples are going around and saying, hey, everybody, you better, you know, you better just sit down and, and you could just imagine and there are some people there like, hey, we're hungry. And if you're sitting us down, you better have something to give us to eat. Because this, this is a whole different day and age. Which leads us kind of to our second thought. Not only do we need to rest in his sufficiency, but I want you to see the second distinctive of living a life in God's economy. And that is to respond to God's word in faith. Okay, get this. It's one thing that, in in the global economy, we just stress out when there's not enough money to pay the bills. We get anxious, we get worried, we get filled with doubt, we get filled with fear. That's how it is normal. We break out the calculators, the spreadsheet, we go around looking for our meager goods to try to figure it out, grab the lunch, we gotta make this thing work. That's how it works in the global economy. But in God's economy, no, it's rest. We might still budget, we might still plan, but it's done with a heart posture of rest, a heart posture of peace, a heart posture that ultimately is putting its trust in our heavenly Father. But it doesn't just stop there. 
The second thing we see with living in God's economy is we respond in faith. You say, what do you mean? The disciples were going to tell all these people to go sit down. He, they were telling them to prepare for food. Get this, when there was no food. <laughs> they were telling them to prepare in the physical realm for something that did not yet exist in the physical realm. This is the essence of faith. We're going to put a definition of your faith because a lot of people in the Christian world are confused as to what faith is. They think faith is this. I believe, you know, I'm hopefully wishing that this will come true. That is not faith. Authentic faith, let's put this up here. Authentic faith is much more than just a mental belief. It's more than just cognitive. It's more than just cerebral. We see it is actually a behavior. It's, faith is not just acknowledging something is true but rather it's taking action because of your confidence in that truth. Let me expand that a little bit more. Real faith, biblical faith, is doing something in the physical realm because God has said something in the spiritual realm. It is doing something in this realm. It's taking a physical step of faith. It's doing something in this physical realm because you believe what God's word has to say. And you have such confidence in what God says that even though it doesn't physically exist yet, you are living your life as if it does. That is biblical faith. Stepping out, following the word of God and the promises of God simply because he says so. Now, I'm not teaching a health, wealth, prosperity where anything you believe, you just believe and it'll make it happen. What I'm, I'm teaching something very clear here. That is when God says something, when his word gives us a specific promise, you can live your life in light of that reality. Okay, I'm not saying anything you want. You just, oh, okay, I'm going to live like I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to live like I have a billion dollars and, and, and go, you know, buy a $100,000 car believing that God is going to provide for it, you know, and I'm going to sign on the dotted line. That's faith. No, there's nowhere where God told you to go get a $100,000 car. I'm talking about when God's word declares something, a promise, that you live your life with such confidence that you believe that what God is saying is true and you live in accordance to that even when you don't see the evidence of it in the physical realm. That, my friend, is faith respond in faith james chapter number two verse 26 says this for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also so how do we respond to faith in these circumstances of lack because if we're going to live in god's economy if we're going to transcend the global economy that's haunted by all kinds of worry and fear and stress and being overwhelmed and biting our feet, if we're going to transcend that and begin to live in God's economy where there is rest and where there is peace, then yes, we have to rest in his sufficiency. We have to respond in faith. But how do we do that in, in circumstances of lack? We see a couple things in verse number 10. Notice what it says. It says here they had the men sit down, which leads us here to the first little thought under this, and that's prepare for the abundance in the physical realm when there is only lack. Prepare for abundance when there is only lack. That is do something. Obey, and I mean specifically obey God. Obey his word, obey his promises. If God says something in regards to finances, if he says something in regards to resources, what I'm saying is obey, respond, 
prepare for what he is saying, even when it doesn't look like it's going to work out. Obey him. Prepare for that abundance when there is only lack. Number two, we see, notice verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks. Now, I don't know, but I could just imagine if, if they bowed their heads and closed their eyes when they gave thanks before food. I can imagine they all have their heads bowed, and, and here's Jesus. He takes that little lunch, lunch bag, five loaves, two fishes. He holds it up and he says, Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, oh, thank you for clearly providing for all 5,000 people. I could just imagine the disciples, you know, they did bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm sure they're looking up at each other thinking, what in the world is Jesus thinking? He's crazy. He's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Because they're looking at what they can see in the physical realm. But God was declaring something with his word. And you can always place your confidence in his word. So not only do we prepare for the abundance, but when God's word declares something, when his word says something, then you can praise God in the physical realm, even when it is not manifest in the physical realm. If God's word and his promises have already declared it. This is the essence of faith. Having such confidence in what God says that you're obedient even when your circumstances and situation around you and it doesn't make sense. So how, how do we move from living in this global economy where we're overwhelmed with stress and anxiety and fear and doubt to where we can have this peace that passeth understanding in the midst of lack and joy unspeakable and full of glory even when we don't know how it's going to work out. We rest in this efficiency. Then we respond in faith. We obey what his word has to say, even when it doesn't look like it makes sense. And I'm going to say this, when you start doing this and you start responding in faith to what God's word has to say, when the physical realm around you doesn't look like it makes sense, your friends and your loved ones and your neighbors and your coworkers, your relatives are going to be like, you've gone crazy. Why? Why are you doing that? Because you are responding to what God's word has to say, regardless of what the situation is telling you. Notice verse 11. And when he had given thanks, notice this, he distributed to the disciples, and then the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as many as they could. Get this. Jesus says, amen, thanking God. The people have all sat down. Jesus takes the bread and fishes. He starts tearing apart. He hands it to the first disciple. And he tears some more apart, hands it second, all the, way, all the disciples. And he keeps tearing and he keeps distributing. He keeps tearing and he keeps distributing. He keeps tearing keeps distributing. And every time he's giving it to the disciples, it, it doesn't run out. He keeps tearing and distributing, tearing and distributing. But notice what these disciples don't do. Imagine one of the disciples saying, yes, I got me dinner. <laughs> starts chowing down. (laughs) But I want you to see from this passage, that's not why Jesus gave to the disciples. He did not first give to the disciples so they can consume it. He gave it to the disciples for the purpose of distributing it. And the same is true to us. What 
God gives to us. He gives so that we can be a conduit of his blessing to others. So we can distribute it. This is the third way as we enter into God's economy. We rest in his sufficiency. We recognize I'm not going to stress. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to get anxious. I'm not going to get fearful. I'm not going to fill with doubt. I'm just going to have a posture of peace regardless of what's happening in the world around me. With my finances, with needs, with bills. I'm going to be at peace trusting that my God is in control. Then I'm going to respond in faith. Whatever God's word says to do, I'm going to do. When God's word says to give, I'm going to give. When God's word says to meet needs, I'm going to meet needs. When God's word says to be content, I'm going to be content. I'm going to live in the physical realm on God's word. I'm going to live based on what he says rather than what I see around me. And then ultimately we see thirdly here today, we need to redistribute the blessing. When God gives, he gives so that we can keep giving. I love this because here they are, the disciples, they keep giving it out and they keep giving it out. They're giving it out to dozens and then they're giving it out to hundreds and then they're giving it out to thousands and they're handing it out and handing it out and handing it out, but they're never running out they keep handing it out but it ain't running out they're handing it out but it ain't running out they keep handing it out and handing it out but it ain't running out you you see what's going on here they're handing it out but it ain't running out because that doesn't make sense in the global economy but in god's economy that's exactly how it works You hand out, you hand out, you hand out, but it doesn't run out. That's what it means to live in God's economy. You are obeying His will. You're obeying His word. And so you give. You're obeying His word. You're responding to what He says. And you give and you give. And you realize when you're living with a spirit of trust and you're responding in faith and you're redistributing the blessing, God takes care of you. Luke chapter number 6 says this, Give. And it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together. So God says here, when you give, I'm going to take care of you. In fact, I'm going to press it down. I'm going to shake it together. And running over shall men give unto you. For with the same measure that ye meet, with the same measure that you give, it shall be measured. It shall be given to you again. This is that promise. Living in God's economy. We don't get so we can hoard. We don't get so we can hoard. We're blessed by God. God distributes to us so we can distribute to others. So we can share. We give, but we don't run out. We give, but we don't run out. That's what it means to live in God's economy economy. We live with a spirit to redistribute the blessing. I could spend the next several hours sharing story after story after story about how God, through his word, has led me to obey what he says about giving, led me to, to do what he says about, you know, supplying for missionaries and those in need and those with lack and following his word when it comes to finances and resources. And I'm here to tell you this, God always provides. You can trust him. You might not be able to trust your employer. You might not be able to trust your boss. You might not be able to trust that one who promised they were going to give you that particular amount of money. But I'm here to say this. You can trust your heavenly father. He takes care of the birds of the air. He will take care of you. Are you living in God's economy? Or are you still wrapped up in the global economy? I hate to say it, but there are Christians... 
and God gives them a little, and they're like the disciple who takes the little barley loaf and the fish, and they're like, ah, they, ah they're eating it all themselves, and, and God gives them a little other portion, ah, you know, they're eating it all themselves, you know, and then they're wondering, why don't I ever have enough? But the disciple who says, hey, God's given so I can give, God's given so I can give, guess what? There's always enough, because as you give out, you don't run out, and I find that the believers who recognize that, hey, I'm going to live in God's economy, I'm going to be at rest, I'm going to follow him in faith, I'm going to redistribute the blessing that those Christians guess what they have what they need to supply what God has for them oh God created his local church to be the distributing of the 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 bread of life to the world around us God wants to get his the bread of life Jesus Christ to those and he uses his church to be the distribution system of getting that to the world around us How are you doing at getting involved in God's distribution system? I'm not talking about a global economy. I realize nothing I'm talking about makes sense, you know, to a Fortune 500 company or Forbes magazine. You're not going to read any of this, all right? Because what we're talking about is not global economy, you know, principles. We're talking about God's economy principles. But this is what God has to say. Do you trust God? him we say we do with our lips but when it comes to our finances we are practical atheists oh i trust god (laughs) yeah he'll take care of me and then we talk about here's what god has to say about what you do with your money and we're like i don't think so (laughs) oh god you gave me something thanks (laughs) now there's not enough i gotta keep hoarding i keep eating myself I'm not going to be taken care of. And so we hoard, hoard. And we wonder why it's, there's always that. Because that's not how it works in God's economy. We get so we can give. And in the process, here's what's crazy. Get this. Notice verse 12. And when the people, the multitudes were filled. So the disciples have been used. And now 5,000 plus. They are, they are stuffed. They've all eaten. Well, what about the disciples? So Jesus said to his disciples, go and gather up the fragments that remain. When they were filled, notice this, verse 13. So the disciples gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments. Now, isn't that interesting? How many disciples were there? Oh. What? That's crazy. Twelve. I'm sure Jesus was probably like, man, I wish there had only been eleven. You know what I mean, Judas. <laughs> you know? No, here's my point. The multitude was filled. They got the bread they needed. And look what the disciples got. They got this basket. And more than just bread, they got a beautiful reminder of the provision of God upon their lives. They got a memory of, you know what? God will take care of the situation. And I have seen this played out over 
and over and over again with God. God will give and I'll give. And God will give more and I'll give more. And literally every year, every year, giving more and more and more away. Giving through the offerings and giving to building funds. And giving to missions and giving to uh, uh, organizations and city. And giving to people and giving and giving and giving. It's like you give and God gives more. And you give and God gives more. And it's like you're shoveling out and God's shoveling in. It just seems like God keeps having a bigger shovel. And I'm here to tell you in ways that blow my mind if I were to tell you the stories I can't outgive God <laughs> it's like you keep shoveling oh gosh, keep shoveling in, in, in just a myriad of ways because you can trust him God says I will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That is a promise from God that he gives to those who understand the principles of living in God's economy. So the question is, what, what are you going to be? Notice, notice, I want you to see this in verse number 12 and we'll wrap this up. He said, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. That nothing be lost. Our God is a God who wants nothing lost. In fact, he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Ultimately, this is what this is all about. It's not about us and it's not about our finances. It's not about how much money we have in our bank and our 401ks and our savings account. Ultimately, what this is about is that nobody be lost. That we be a community of faith that's getting the bread of life to Northwest Fresno in a way that enriches their lives and brings satisfaction and sees them filled. But here's the question. What are you? Do you live in the global economy of checkbook ledgers and budgets and calculators and, and then you allow that, okay, I, I'm going to use that and that's, ex- that's all I, c- I, the way you see your world is based on what that gives you. It's not wrong. But if you ignore this, it's not healthy. Do you live in a global economy and the principles that govern that or do you live in God's economy of rest and trust and faith and extravagant generosity? And maybe you're here and you're like, I just, I, 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 I'm, I'm sincerely wanting to give, but I just can't. I want to say to you this, just obey God. Trust him. You can't, can't trust, it's not about trusting me or trusting your boss or trusting your employer. I'm talking about trusting the creator of the universe. And if he says something, have the confidence respond you can trust him so here's the question and I'll be done is your behavior more influenced when it comes to resources and money you're buying you're spending you're giving your sacrifice is it influenced more by what you see on a checkbook ledger what you see in your bills what you see in your w-2 is it influenced more by what you see Or is it influenced more by what he says in his word? People who are more influenced by what he says, they're living in in God's economy. People who are more influenced by what they see on paper, 
they're living in a global economy. What influences you? Oh, God will take care of them. You can trust him. But which way are you going to go? Hey, Philip, how are we going to take care of the lack, the need? Philip's like, ah. And Jesus did this to test him. And he does the same to us. Hey, disciple, which way are you going to go when it comes to finances? Which way are you going to go when it comes to money? Try to figure it all out yourself, and then whatever's left, you're like, okay, here's. Or is there just going to be radical distribution? Say, why are you sharing some of this? About once a year or so, as a church family, we just like to really get zoned in around this idea. Every January, we unveil our, our vision projects. And every year, there's some things that we believe above and beyond as a church family that we want to step out by faith and accomplish. And this year, we've really been burdened just to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to help organizations that help people in need, who are hungry, who are homeless, and to really be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And it's one thing to say, yes, that's awesome. See people to come to faith in Christ. Make a greater impact on missions. Help people around the world. It's one thing to raise our hand and say, yes, we're for that. But tonight at 7 o'clock, we're going to have an opportunity to respond in faith as individuals, because that's all a church is, just a bunch of individuals, to respond in faith and, and put our money where our mouth is and, and really prove whether or not we trust God or not. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not a part, man, we're going to come together for some prayer. And it's not about amount of giving. It's just about simply following what God's Spirit leads you to do. And just obeying Him. Obeying His Word in these areas. And we're going to come together for some prayer. We're going to come together. And we're going to ha- we'll enjoy some refreshments and, and some time of fellowship. But I want to encourage each and every one of you to be a part this evening at 7 o'clock. As we collectively as a church family say, you know what? We're not just going to talk about how we trust God. We're going to put feet to our beliefs. And we're going to be part of this distribution channel. And get in on God's economy in an extravagant way. You can grab your tickets there at guest services. I want to encourage you to be a part. And let's just pray that God would continue to use us to make an impact in the world around us. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.